Our good Father, we ask that you would once again make your word a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that by it we would see your beloved Son given freely to us, and by your Spirit you might give us life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this past week, I was searching for a podcast that might be helpful or good to listen to. And in case you didn't know this, there is a lot of podcasts to choose from. There's actually over 2 million out there. So pretty much any topic you want to learn more about or hear more about, it's out there. So what that means is if you are looking for a podcast that is going to help you in your journey of faith, then you're going to find plenty of those. It also means on the flip side of that, if you're looking for voices that are telling you why uh, this whole thing that we believe and what we are doing is crazy, you're going to find a lot of those as well. And as I was doing a little search, I found myself going down a little bit of a rabbit trail looking at some of these different podcasts that are talking about why religion and why what we are doing is bad for the world. And, and there's a creative variety of them out there. You can choose from the friendly atheist to the graceful atheist to the scathing atheist, uh, depending on what you're looking for. The atheist pastor losing our religion, recovering from religion, life after God and more. And as I was looking through these different podcasts, looking through the episodes, I just had to cringe not because they were saying all of these false things about what it is that we believe in, but because so much of the content was looking at people's lives who profess one thing of saying, I believe in this one thing, and their, their lives are demonstrating something very different. So there are many stories of people of faith doing some crazy and sometimes just plain weird and sometimes just downright evil things. And one of the cringe points was just to know personally that they are just hitting the tip of the iceberg. That that this disconnect over the years has been one of the key reasons that keeps people on the outside looking in, in terms of when it comes to a life of faith, because they look around and they see all of these people saying these good and seemingly beautiful things about what they believe, and then their lives demonstrate something much more twisted, something much more destructive, something much more dark, and the world doesn't know what to make of that. And it makes what we believe that much less compelling. When we think about how Jesus looks at this particular situation, this idea of disconnect, there's really two ways that he himself approached it. He was very clear that there are indeed going to be many who say with their mouths that this is what I believe, but are not ones who have a genuine work of God in their heart. They're followers of Christ, but not really followers The other way that that Jesus addressed this issue was that in all of us, personally, for us who are genuinely following Jesus, there is going to be a disconnect, a gap. 
between what we believe, what we say we believe, and how we, as the church, as believers, as Resurrection Presbyterian, how we live. Uh, Personally, I know the gap that exists between who I desire to be as a husband and a father and a friend and a pastor and a neighbor the gap between who I want to be is that and who I really am on a day-to-day basis. I know the gap that exists between the way I want to love, the way I want to serve and forgive and, and give generously and act wisely and live courageously and stand up for what's wrong and then the, what I actually do with my time and energy and heart. John is addressing both of these gaps. There is a group of people that has left the church. And they are teaching these very strange things. And and John is writing to this early church to say, in a sense, don't follow them in the way that they're going. They're, They're not holding true to what we have taught. But John's also writing to a group of very ordinary believers like us who who feel this gap between who we want to be and what we say we believe and what actually exists in reality. And so here's where I want to go this morning as we look at these words. I want us to consider this reality of who God is and who He is for us. And then also this response that we are invited and called into. And along the way, look at how those can connect and how they can stay together. So this reality, our response, and along the way, how they connect and how they stay together. So first, the reality. I think it's helpful to think of what John is trying to do here in terms of of reconnecting train cars. So in order for a train to, to move in any significant way, two things have to be in place. The first thing is that the individual cars have to be connected to one another. If these cars are not connected, then the train's not going anywhere. But the second thing that has to be in place is that there has to be something to pull the cars forward. There has to be some type of an engine with a driving force that's going to pull and make this move. And so the cars have to be connected to one another, but also all train cars are not created equal. One is meant to drive and pull the other. The same is true of what John is trying to tell us here. The train car of our faith and the train car of our life, they have to be connected to one another. But they are not equal. There is one that is meant to pull the other. And one of the One of the troubles we get into is that we mix up which car is meant to be pulling the other. And we think often that the car that pulls who God is for us is going to be our goodness, is going to be our obedience and our ability to follow. And we think that this effort and this work on our behalf is what is going to drive this life of faith. Whereas... Jesus and Paul and John, the apostles, turn that on their head and they say, here is the driving force in our lives. It's meant to be who God is and who he is for us. 
This is the good news that we began to hear last week, that the good news is not advice on how we are to live. It's an announcement at who God is and what he's done for us. And it continues here in verse five. Listen to what John says. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So this is the message that we're passing along. God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. John is using this simple imagery of light that all of us are familiar with to communicate something very clear about God, to say that God is good. There is a pure goodness about God in which there is no darkness. When, when he says here, in him there is no darkness at all, he's, he's breaking our English rules of grammar. We're taught you do not use double negatives. In, in Greek, you use double negatives to emphasize something that really mattered. And so John here is using double negatives saying, in, in no way is there any trace of darkness in God at all. No hint. No, there's no shadow side to him. There's nothing about him that we can look at and question whether, whether that is, is truly good and truly pure or doesn't have some ulterior motives to it. I was thinking about this strange picture throughout the week. Um, you know, the TVs these days feel like they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you can think about one of these kind of 60-inch TVs. And, and I thought about this strange picture of, of us walking around together, uh, having these huge screens kind of floating above our heads. And, and on these screens all the time is just projections constantly uh, of what we're thinking, of what's going on in our hearts, of what we're going on in, in our minds, from when we're driving around to when we're sitting at church and listening to a sermon to when we're spending time with family, to when we're talking with a stranger. All the time, the person that you're interacting with is just staring up, looking at your TV screen and identifying right away what's going on in your heart. Um, it was, as I was thinking about that image, I had that in the back of my mind, walking around, you know, just throughout Athens and going to coffee shops. I was like, I'm glad that there is no TV floating above my head. Because what's true for all of us and what we all know is there, there are things in our hearts and in our minds. There are corners of our lives that we are not proud of. Things that we want to be different. Things that just, if we're honest, just feel dirty. And when I think about God, and if you were picture Jesus walking around with this big screen, all it is is light. All it is is love. All it is is purity. There's no, there's no frustration as this person walks up and be like, I can't believe this guy's coming to me again. There's, no, there's none of these hidden darkness. John is clear. In him, there is no darkness at all. There's something different about God. But that doesn't necessarily make it good news. If you're familiar with Martin Luther, the great reformer, one of his big personal struggles that really sparked the Protestant Reformation was he saw very clearly that God was light, that God was just, that God was pure. But he didn't see how that was any advantage to him because he knew 
that he was not pure. They knew there were things that were off inside of him. And so he struggled with what does that mean for me? And what he came to was a deeper understanding of the gospel, that what we need is for God to share his light and his life with us. And that is, that is something that John is always combining in his writings, whether it's his gospel or whether it's his letter. He's taking the light of God and the life of God, and he's weaving them together through and through in and out. So listen to what he said in his gospel. He says, in him, in Jesus, was the life. And the life was the light of humanity. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Or Jesus' own words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I hope you're beginning to sense the good news of this light bringing life. So you have Peter saying, God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have Paul saying, he has delivered us from this domain of darkness and into the, the kingdom of his beloved son, this kingdom of light. So if you go back to our, our train image, what, what John is saying in essence is, this is our hope that that there is this light that has broken into our world in, in Jesus, and it is our hope that gives life, that pulls our faith. One of, the, one of the reasons I see people's lives, specifically within the church, go haywire is because there begins to be this disconnect from who God is and who God is for them in their actual day-to-day lives. And that disconnect begins to grow and grow and grow until it just doesn't make sense anymore. And what John is trying to do with this people that he loves so much is saying, these two are meant to come together and stay together. When you think about your own life, does this message of, of God and light and life, is it something that is a driving force in your life? What, it, what are the trains that are pulling you, that are exciting you, that are, that are moving you? What do you find your life being driven by? John's calling us to embrace this reality. And that leads us to our second point, really a matter of how do we respond? How do we close this gap between faith and life? And how do we live with those as connected trains? Uh, one of the ways John writes is, is he, he can do this in a helpful way. Some people can find it frustrating, but he can be very either or. And he does this to, to highlight some specific truth to, to bring it into greater clarity. And he even does it here. There's five times where he talks about this. He goes, if then, if this, then this, if this, then this, if this, then this. What he really draws out here. And he brings into focus is there's only really two ways to live. In response to this light that has come bringing life, we can either walk in the light or we can walk in the darkness. And John's really pressing those and teasing those apart to 
to move us to some type of choice, realizing full well that one of these paths leads to life and the other of these paths leads to death. John says, you can't have it both ways. Verse six, if we say we have fellowship or a close relationship with him, and yet we are walking in darkness, he says, we're lying and we're not living by the truth. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When he talks about walking, he's using that word in a way that communicates a pattern of life, a way of consistently living over time. This is a way of walking. And this ongoing pattern doesn't mean you you don't make mistakes. He's very clear about that when he talks about in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he's not advocating a kind of perfectionism that many have been caught up with in the past in the church's history. He's, He's saying, which path are you following down? There are two basic roads. One is well lit, one is in the dark. One is leading to life, one is leading to death. Which way are you traveling down? Over the past few days, the, the world has been watching as, as really the Taliban ushers through Afghanistan and takes over city after city. And there's been all sorts of reports about it. And for many, it, it brings back these memories of, of 9-11 and what the nation went through. And it stirs up fears of what could be again. And And one of the dangers that happens in a time like this is as a culture and as a people, we can begin to draw lines of good and evil in the wrong places. So there are people over there that are very evil and there's a people over here that are very good. It's light and it's dark. And I think about something that Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote a very long time ago, and he was uh, a Russian and he spent time in a Russian prison camp, which uh, if, if you want to experience a terrible and torturous reality, spend time in a Russian prison camp during the winter. And he, he writes about his experience there. And you would imagine um, just a natural hatred growing of like, these are the bad guys, we're the good guys. And he He comes to this observation, which I think very much lines up with the Christian faith and what Jesus himself taught. He said, gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. So what we see, even in this, in what John is drawing us into, is, is, there is there is this dividing line that goes through our hearts, even of light and darkness. And that is why we see that Jesus himself even came. It's not a question of whether sin is a part of our lives. The question is, what do we do with it? And John is trying to push that into the front of our view And he says, you've got really two options to deal with that dividing line and the sin that's in your life. You can either bring it into the light or you can cover it and hide it in the darkness. 
Those are really your only two choices. And what you choose to do in John's mind and Jesus's mind and Paul's mind and in our minds matters greatly. See, it's that same story going all the way back to the garden. It's a story of a falling. It's a story of covering up. And it's a story of hiding. And we live out that same story in our own lives week after week. We still find ways to cover up and hide. And and when we hide, there are three things that happen. The first thing that happens when, when we take this darkness and hide it is that whatever it is that we are hiding grows stronger. Part of the reason why we hide stuff is because we want it to go away. We want it to become weaker. We don't want other people to see it and we want it to be less of a part of our lives. But what happens is actually the exact opposite. When we try to hide it away, it, it gains power, it gains steam. It, it's, like, it's like mold in a dark, damp, warm environment that just begins to spread and take hold. There's a reason why groups like Alcoholics Anonymous don't just give you a workbook when you come in and say, go home and do these exercises um, and you should be better. There's a reason why so much of of what the work there is built upon is you bringing your struggle open into the light saying, this is me, because they have learned personally, as many of us have learned personally, that that hiding things does not lead to healing. It, It just it never works that way. When we hide, whatever we are hiding becomes stronger. Second, when we hide, the distance between us and others becomes greater. Um, I think about what Tim Keller said in his, it's, it was a book on marriage. And he talked about kind of the relationship and the importance and value of just knowing and being known by your spouse and loving and being loved. And he says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. Some of the the most uh, intimate times uh, we have community with one another is times where we share things that are going on really within our lives. And when we share even some of those darker parts and someone looks at that and says, I'm not going to run away. I still love you. I'm here with you. I'm fighting for you. What that produces is a beautiful community. And that's what John is getting at here when he says, if we walk in the light in verse seven, then we have fellowship with one another. What that means is when we walk in the light, we are able to draw closer to one another because we're not hiding. We're not hiding in guilt. We're not hiding in shame. We're not hiding to cover up. We're experiencing the beauty of genuine community. So when we hide the distance, it's not only whatever we're hiding grows stronger, but the distance between us and the people around us begins to grow and grow, leaving us in isolation, loneliness, worse off. 
And finally, third and most importantly, when we hide, the distance between us and God becomes greater. John says in verse 6, he says, We can't have fellowship with him or be close to him and yet choose to walk in the dark. One path leads to life, one path leads to death. When you think about your life, um, what is it that you find yourself hiding? What is it that you find yourself keeping to yourself and holding on to yourself, saying things like, I can manage this. Nobody needs to know. It's not a big deal. All the ways that we try to minimize the things in our life and try to keep it so low. What are those things for you? And, and, and why is it that you want to keep it locked away? I, and I feel this too personally. These are questions I have to face as well. And what might it look like for you to take those things and be a person who lives fully in the light? Because you have a God who in his love and in his mercy is inviting you to come out of hiding, to stop covering up, to stop pretending that you're better than you really are, and to be honest about what's really going on in your life. And what you will find when you step out into the light is you will find a God who is just, who does hate whatever is evil and whatever is bad. But you find a God who is faithful and forgiving, who loves with a love beyond our understanding. Verse 9, if we confess, open up, pour forth our sins, he's faithful and just. He's both faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. I'll close with this. Think about what's happening on the cross. It is, it's not just pure coincidence that in the middle of the day we read that darkness covers the whole land. So that here you have the light of the world with nailed to a cross with darkness just just covering him. And, And what happens when When justice and love meet on Jesus, what flows out is forgiveness. It is a a washing, unlike anything we've experienced before, a, a cleansing. A God who says, I'm not afraid of the worst parts about you. There's nothing too big for me to forgive. There's no great enough obstacle that can keep me from Loving you. Why? If that is the kind of God of light we have, why would we choose to walk in the darkness? Why would we not come into the light? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Let's walk in the light together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you endured such darkness. The darkness of the day, the darkness of the cross, the darkness of death and of the tomb. And that did not overcome you that Sunday, Easter morning. A new day, new morning, new mercies, new power, new life breaking through. A new age has dawned. And as John says, the darkness is already passing away and the new day is already shining. And that's what we wake up into every morning. God, would you help us as your people to 
walk in the light as you are in the light, that we might be the lights of the world. We know our inconsistencies, that a podcast could be made about each one of us and all of our failures and all of our faults, that it would fill multiple seasons and it would be incredibly cringeworthy. God, remind us of this good news, of this grace, and help us to be a people who shine as lights, not because um, we are perfectly good, but because you are good and we are yours. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.